Okay, you can take your Bibles, turn back to John 15 again. And then you also can put a finger in Luke 5. That's where we were last week, if you remember. And then if time permits, we'll get to 1 Samuel. So how about that? So spread yourself out just a little bit and you'll be good. All right. I, I was asked to reread this, and so I'll reread it. You can, um, <laughs> in case you missed it. The phrase I said was, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin, and he tricks you into defining yourself and identifying yourself by that sin. God knows your sin, but God calls you by your name, and then God defines you by who you were created to be and what you were created to become, okay? Somebody want to make sure they got that right and so there you go alright and as you can imagine what I said behind that did, did elicit a few responses which is always interesting um, but you know that's that kind of week so anyway uh, we're talking about the four sticky words anybody remember the words because you said so, because you said so. Um, we Last week, we were spending our time, um, again, talking about John 15. I introduced you to the wheel of emotions, um, and we looked at that for just a little bit. And we talked about the fact that it, very often it is our emotions that will get us into trouble when it comes to our stick to itness, I guess, uh, with God. And so we went back to an old story, and we were looking at Jesus um, and Peter uh, and their encounter, and we were talking about that a little bit, and that's where we wrapped up last week. And so let me kind of catch us back up just a little bit, and we'll move right back into some new stuff for a few minutes, um, and, and kind of emphasize again what what the takeaway was. That was where the four words came from. We got there just before we ended last week. It is when Peter responds back to Jesus after Jesus has said, "Look, I know you don't feel like doing what I'm telling you to do." But do it. And Peter then responds, well, because you say so. And they went back out and they went fishing again. Because you say so are the four words that you um, have got to learn to make a part of your spiritual journey. If you're going to get this sticking to Jesus correct, uh, you're gonna, if you're going to do it well, because you say so are those moments when you have Come to grips with the fact that you can't do it your way any longer. And you're going to have to go with his plan. And that becomes so important for us if we're going to get this thing called transformation right. If you're ever going to become that person that God wants you to be, that is essential. So we go back to Luke chapter 5 and pick up, somebody read for us. Starting in verse uh, Luke 5, uh, read verses 4 um, through 9, somebody please, out loud if you wouldn't mind. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets before a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and have, have not caught anything, but because you say no, I will let down the nets. When they had... 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in on the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish he had, they had taken. When you get to the point when you say, because you said so, you are you're at a point at that moment of what would best be described as um, humble submission. In other words, it's that moment when you have to admit something to yourself that no one wants to admit. I hate to admit this. If you're anything like me at all, you hate to admit, admit this. But there comes a moment where if you're going to get this thing right, you have to be able to say to yourself and say to God, my way isn't working. And in that moment, then and only then, by the way, are you ready um, to take that next step of the journey? That understanding that my way, my plan, my stuff is not going to get it done. I'm going to have to do it a different way. That's the because you said so moment. When everything in you says, this is the way I want to do it. But then you've got that come to Jesus moment where you know what, if it's going to happen, I'm going to have to do it his way. Because you said so, or those four words that then stick you back and make sure that, that connection to the vine is healthy. Because let's be honest, if your way was working in life, I mean, let's not talk about you. Let's talk about other people like we always do. But if your way was working, would you regularly feel so exhausted and anxious? I mean, if your way was really working, would you still struggle with the bad habits that you've got? I mean, if your way was really working, would you still have to have a drink before you go to bed? I mean, if your way was really working, would you still be compelled um, to, to hold on to those bad habits that you just can't let go of, but you know that you ought to? Um, you know, when your way isn't working, would you still have to go online and start to shop when you feel overwhelmed? If your way was really working, would you still have to go and raid the icebox because you're just stressed and you have to find that comfortable place where you can just have something that you can control? If your way was really working, would you experience the same turmoil in your relationships? Would you still have... Um, people around you that are no longer talking to you? If your way was really working, would you be struggling with bitterness and resentment? If your way was really working, would you, still, would you not be able to, to, to forgive those people that you hold these grudges against for so long that you can't remember why they started? If your way was really working, could you look people in the eye and actually have a conversation with them? Or would you have to keep looking away just because you're ashamed because you know that they know something about you? If your way was really working, would you be so discouraged that you want to quit? You get the idea, right? So glad I'm talking about other people. <laughs> because if our way was really working, then we wouldn't have to come to God and say, because you said so. And then on top of that, there's another moment of common sense that hopefully would kick in about now. When you look around and ask yourself, if my way was going to work, wouldn't it have worked by now? I know. <laughs> I, 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 I know people. I know people. I'm not, boy, I'm going to be so vague here. I know people. 
who will often be in the midst of crisis, turmoil, upheaval, and you ask them, well, what are you doing? And they'll say this or something like this. And, it, and, and, and I have to be real careful how I react to that because I know what it means. But that's it. Well, I'm working my plan. You're working your plan. Okay. And, you know, and sometimes I'll dig a little bit deeper. But connection for us comes in that moment when we recognize that the reality and the consequences of our disconnection are real. And they have to be real enough for us to want to change. See, what we're talking about Sunday morning, um, for a lot of people, it's just it's unpacking something that we ought to know. But again, as I made the point the last two weeks, but you got to remember, you got to remember the intensity that the passage that we've been looking at on Sunday morning really brings to it. I mean, these are Jesus' last words. I mean, this is it. If you were to, to try to compartmentalize, what, can you, what, what, what conversation do you want to have before uh, you can't have any more conversations? What is the most important thing you could say? You know, I, I, in my head, I would think if, if I were Jesus, what would I say? What would the plan be? You know, and I made light of it about I give him an outline. I give him five points. I give him a PowerPoint presentation. I would lay out how it needs to be done. But Jesus didn't do any of that because he understood something that's easy for us to miss. If we connect, we'll get the rest of it right. And if we don't connect well, we're always going to struggle. And I can tell you this, and I, and, and I can tell you this to be true in my own life, but I can tell you this to be true in people's lives that I know and I've watched for a long, long time. When the connection is good, they're healthy, and it goes well. And when they're not connected, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, it will start manifesting itself in some crazy, crazy ways. See, I major in sociology in my undergraduate studies, because I like to study people. Um, people are nuts. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, people... Saying that I mean, no, I know. Well, I say it with all, with all, with all the truth I can muster. People are crazy. Uh, the, the world would be crazy right now. And, and, and they're just getting crazier, but trying to understand why people do what they do. And here's how I know it works inside the church. Because, see, I, I, think, I think that, that for... I think if I ever had to do... If I was ever going to start my own seminary... Let's put it that way. And I'm not going to, by the way. I know. Because <laughs> we're about out of there, right? Yep. Anyway, um, the, uh, at the end of the day, I think an essential class for any seminary would be a Christian sociology class of understanding the dynamics of how people move spiritually and how their movement and their actions and how they track are related to who they are as spiritual people. I think that's a fascinating study. I think it's a real study. I think it's a study that can be tracked. I think it's a study that can be, be quantified. I think it can be measured. I think it really is that important. I think it can be done. Because I can almost tell you how connected you are to God based on a conversation that we might have or what you're doing or what you're struggling with. And it ain't because I'm smart. It's just because, you know, you just watch people and you see how it is and you know what it's like. And you watch it happen over and over and over again. I can tell you if somebody's angry at the world, I can tell you if somebody's angry at God and they're going to take it out on somebody else. I can tell you if they're heartbroken or disappointed. I can tell you if they've just got something going on in the world that they just won't own honestly. Um, I, and, and again, and, and for me, you know, I, I try to broker best I possibly can in, in truth. 
as much as possible. Uh, and sometimes the truth hurts and people get ticked off at the truth. And, and so even this past week, I, I've heard some of that again, you know, as you often hear from time to time. Um, but let's go back to the passage. Can we just read it again? Because we'll, we'll, we need to finish this up. Um, go back to the story. Because it's all, it's, the details in the story, stories are amazing. And, and, I, and I love the stories of the Bible because there's so much that you can learn from them. So here's the deal. I go back and I read that account again this week. I read it a couple times. You know when Peter hears Jesus say, I want you to um, push back out and cast out your nets. Jesus does not give him a reason for doing that. Jesus doesn't give him a reason. He doesn't explain himself. Uh, he, he just makes a request. See, there's no guarantee of the results if Peter does what Jesus says because Jesus doesn't front load it with a guarantee. Hey, Peter, if you do this, this is going to happen for you. Now, he doesn't say that. He goes, I want you to go out. I want you to cast, cast out your nets. And Peter's at a moment where I, I don't want to do that. I've been doing that all night. It ain't working. But because you say something, I'm going to do it. There's no guarantee how this is going to turn out. Because ultimately for Peter, all he has in this moment is the fact that I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. That's all I got. If you think about it, and you were able to carve into Peter's life just a little bit. That's what makes Peter the leader that ultimately he becomes. Peter has no idea what the results of this is going to be. But somehow beneath that crusty, rough fisherman exterior, Jesus sees a guy and challenges him. And Peter takes that challenge. Because you said so, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and you know, in the back of the old fisherman's head, he's thinking, oh, God, I hope something good happens. Because if not, I'm going to be upset. Jesus, in essence, is saying to Peter, hey, man, I, I, know, I know you're tired. I, I know uh, you've been hammering at this thing all night. I know you're exhausted. I get it. I get it. You just cleaned your nets, which is another part of the story that sometimes we forget. <laughs> You've just put them away. You're done. <laughs> done. Bad night. Let's be done. Let's go on and do this tomorrow. I, I know you put them away. I know you don't want to do what I'm getting ready to ask you to do. But if you'll take me out with you and fish in the deep water, let's go see what's going to happen. That's the invitation that Jesus gives him. In other words, he's saying, if you humble yourself and you're going to submit to what I ask you to do, let's see where this journey takes us. And a lot of people don't do that. I see I'm coming. A lot of people don't do that because we want the guarantee of where the journey is going to take us. I will not humble myself. I'm not going to submit myself unless you tell me what's going on. Anybody ever, you want to drive somebody nuts? Let me, let me tell you how to drive somebody nuts. And don't ever tell, do, do this to anybody. From here on out, this stays in this room. This is how you drive somebody nuts. Text somebody saying, I got something that I really need to talk to you about. We need to talk soon. That's it. <laughs> They're not going to sleep all night. And you sit there and you should read that. You'll read that text a hundred times. What do they want to talk about? I mean, if it's important, talk to me now. 
Yo, yo, we, we need to talk. Let's put it off. Let's put it off. And, and that will drive some people absolutely out of their tree. Worrying and, and angst about what's going on. You know, what's going on. I had a meet with somebody earlier this week. They came up to me on a Sunday and they said, Man, I really need to talk to you this week. It is a, it's kind of an emergency. Oh, <laughs> I said, Okay. Uh, okay. Well, when? And they said, Well, what's the first slot I can get? I'm like, uh, so now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking, you know, five weeks from next Saturday leap year, right? I mean, I, now I'm, I'm pushing back. And then they said this, oh, there's nothing wrong. Oh, oh come in, let's go, let's go right now. See, it, cha- it changed the whole vibe of the conversation, right? Uh, because, again, we, we, we want to know, we want the end game before we ever get uh, to, the, to the end game. I saw that here. So, Rogelli is, is very hot. Fishermen don't fish during daytime. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, he's a generational fisherman. His father fished, whatever else. But here's the part that caught me was, they're all putting their nets together, and Peter's walking back to the boat to put the nets in. His fellow fishermen, I know these guys. They didn't miss it. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, just... That fact alone, the Peter, there's something about him that was like, all right, yeah. generations are doing this. We do it at night. Mm-hmm. They're laughing at me. Whatever. <laughs> Put it in the boat. Let's go. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, everything, what I'm is, it went against every bit of vocational and whatever experience that he had to do that. Yeah. So you have to ask, why? And the fact that he didn't come back and say, well, how long have you been preaching? 33 years? My family's been fishing for generations. You stick to preaching, I'll stick to... That would have been my answer. (laughs) Well, the B part of that, I did mention last week, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Yeah. So I'm thinking at one point, too, Peter, on the B part of this story, might be going... Will I ever pay this debt off? I mean, yeah, he may be thinking that too. Now, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, you know. Can we do the borrow the boat? Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, there could have been that part of Peter going, you know, hopefully this is enough. Hopefully this is enough. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, anyway, all right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, there's Peter. Peter does obviously. We know the story. He does what Jesus says. Um, no guarantees given. But the, for Peter, the difference between staying up all night and not catching anything and then going back out and trying it again is one thing. This time, Jesus is in the boat. That's the difference. The radical difference in how this is going to turn out is simply because he is connected now to Jesus. And Peter's about to have a front row seat to discover that more than his efforts and expertise, which he had, more important than being an expert and being a veteran fisherman was the fact that he was now connected to Jesus, and that trumped everything else. It's connection that leads to production. We've said that the first week. We said it last week. We say it again tonight. We'll say it again Sunday, I'm sure. Peter may have thought Jesus didn't know anything about fishing, but he was willing to submit to him. That's huge. 
And here's what Peter learns. Here's what you and I have to learn. Jesus knows everything about everything. And that's who you're connecting to. See, Jesus knows everything about everything. That's who we connect to. And it turns out that Jesus has some kind of built-in fish finder. Okay, he got it. I mean, I don't know. He's got it. And it turns out that in any area of your life that doesn't seem to be working, here's what I want you to remember. Jesus knows more than you think he does. I mean, uh, he knows more about your job than you do. I don't care how long you've been doing it. He knows more about the people that you love than you do. And you know what else? He loves them more than you love them. He always has. He knows more about your children than you do. He knows more about your body than you do. He knows more about your finances than you do. He knows more about you than you do. And you can connect to Jesus whenever you desire. And that intimacy will carry you and change everything about your day, your moment. So when I ask you on Sunday, find one thing, one thing you're going to do. You know, sometimes you hear me crack on a little bit because I always laugh at people. Oh, I know you didn't do this. You know, and I'll make some comment because I know some people don't do it. But I also know that the people that do try it, it works. Uh, not because I'm doing anything, not because I'm smart. It's just because it just works. It's because it's Jesus. One thing, all it takes is one thing to connect to him differently. Um, in Luke 5, Peter humbles himself, gets back in the water. This time Jesus is with him. He casts his nets. What happens? Read verse 8. Someone says it. Someone read verse 8 again. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Picture the scene. Peter falls at the feet of Jesus in the boat. No, his knees. That's weird. Yeah, falls on his knees. Falls, falls, uh, falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus in the boat. What is he surrounded by? Fish. Flopping, flapping fish. He's on his knees in front of Jesus with a boat full of fish. Flapping everywhere, smelling like fish. And Peter realizes in that moment, in that single moment, that Jesus can do something that he can't do. And he'd been doing it, and go back to what you said, generationally. All of his life, in one moment, Jesus moves him out into a boat and proves to him like that. I can do something that you will never be able to do without me. But with Peter, with Peter, with having Jesus in the boat, he did it. It doesn't say that Jesus grabbed a net. doesn't say that Jesus threw the net in the water. He just told him what to do. Peter did the work. He pulled those fish in that boat. And Peter realized that he was in the presence of a better fisherman than he would ever be. That's who he needed to connect to. 
See, when I connect to Jesus, I'm connecting to someone who is better than I will ever be at anything that I've ever been good at or anything I'll ever be good at or anything I could ever hope to be good at. He's always going to be better than that. But here's the beauty about Jesus. He wants us to be successful. You know, Jeff, what it says to me is today, he doesn't need to be, he didn't need to be in the boat. No. All he had to do was tell him what to do and he, he, if he'd have done it, he'd have got the same results. Same results. But, but, for, but for Peter, he had to learn yeah. mm-hmm. how important that connection is, right? Right. And so that presence, the, the, the presence of his presence. As I say in John 21, there's an encore. Oh, yes, there is. And Jesus was not in the boat. He yeah, was on the exactly shore. Right. And he called out to them to do the same thing. It, and then there's immediate recognition. Yeah. What did I forget here? That <laughs> Peter, mm-hmm. as we do, needs some repeat experiences yeah. with Jesus to solidify our relationship, our understanding, our identity. Yeah, we, we tend to be kind of adults sometimes. Adults. <laughs> we just don't get it. Um, you know, he, he, Jesus has to repeat it. Yeah. And he does. Because, you know, I, I, I'm struck by the fact that one of the most encouraging things of the story, and it's the thing that you see throughout the New Testament, is that when Jesus shows up, things don't have to stay the same. Mm-hmm. They don't have to stay the same. When he shows up, everything can change. Uh, the way things are, don't have to remain that way. The way things have been, they don't have to stay that way. The way things uh, have always been, doesn't have to stay that way. Um, this time does not have to be like last time. And, and so... When we're thinking about being stuck to him, one of the things that has to happen in our life is we go back and we go back to what we even talked about on Sunday morning. For us, we are in a constant battle because, and I, you know, Satan is so good at what he does that he allows, and we go back to our wheel of emotion again, okay? One of the greatest emotions that Satan likes to play with us and just toy with us over is discouragement. If Satan can discourage you, because he can't have your soul, but if he can discourage you, you begin taking your eyes off of all of the things that matter the most, which is why the challenge, do one thing that's going to keep you better connected, matters so much. Um, And discouragement, I mean, come on, we've all been there, right? Discouragement happens maybe when you step on the scale at home <laughs> and you find out that that number hasn't changed, even though yesterday you about start. <laughs> no, that's, 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 that's anger and disappointment. Um, discouragement is when you um, step on that scale, number hasn't changed, even though you've been trying to be more disciplined in eating, you've been working out every day, even get to the gym every once in a while. It's that feeling that you get when you pray the same prayer for month after month after month and it, and it, and it seems like God's silent. It's that feeling you get when you work for long hours, you've done your job, you've tried to be excellent at it, and you get overlooked for that promotion. Or when raise time came, well, they said, hey, let me just give you a certificate for the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that feeling you get when you go the extra mile 
and preparing dinner at home. And everybody sits down and they scarf it up and they don't notice. You know, what's, what's, Ken Smith's going to be with us in October. Ken Smith taught me this a long time ago, and it, it, it equates there are always tablecloth issues that you need to be aware of. And he said when his wife, Donnell, fixes a nice dinner and lays out that tablecloth and puts out the good china and puts out all of that silver that they never see very often, but she cooks a great dinner, and he said, I, I, I'm a great eater. And I will sit down and I will eat that dinner. And I will walk away and say, thanks, that was awesome. And walk away and can't figure out why Donnell's mad at him. <laughs> he looked at me one time and he said, because I didn't look at the tablecloth. <laughs> it mattered that she set the table with the tablecloth and the china and the good silver. And so his advice to me as a very young preacher was, boy, Always look at the tablecloth. There are tablecloth issues in life, folks. And sometimes you got to notice those. Um, it's a feeling that you get when you study real hard, but you don't get the grade that you thought you were going to get by having to meet all through seminary. You practice. You practice hard. But Coach Simmons never puts you in the game. You feel like the interview went well, but they never call you back. Because you were overqualified or underqualified. Um, you apply for the job, but they said no. Um, you walk out to the mailbox, and there's another letter from a collection agency. But you know that there's no more money in the checkbook. How are you going to pay that bill? Discouragement is loss of hope, confidence, or courage. You're feeling hopeful, but then something happens to deflate that hope. That's discouragement. See, to be discouraged... You have to be hopeful. If you were never hopeful, you'll never be discouraged. So for some people in life, they just go, well, I'll just never have any hope, so I'll never be discouraged. And you know what? That might work for them for a while. But most of us need hope. But because we have hope, and we've had hope, and we've experienced hope, we also then know what discouragement is. That's the emotion. Discouragement is not an object, by the way. It's not something you can touch. It doesn't have weight or mass. But it can be so heavy, it weighs you down where you can't even function. That's discouragement. And it can be that heavy, and it can be that conflicting, and it can just drive you nuts. There's a woman in the Bible who understood discouragement. We're going to go there next week. Uh, her story's found in 1 Samuel. Her name is Hannah. Her story may be one of the most vivid Old Testament illustrations of connection there is. And it's so simple that for the most part we miss it. But the dynamics of her story speak to us so much in how it is that we function and how it is we live our life. And so this week in worship, even though it's our birthday, we're gonna, it will be a little bit lighter than it has been in the past, but we're going to talk about um, Velcro. Because Velcro is fun. And so we're going to talk about Velcro. And, um, and we're going to come back next week and then talk about how that fits into the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And we'll see what happens from there. All right? All right. Let me pray and get us out of here. Go get your children. 
Have a good rest of the week. Let's pray. God, um, we've all been there. Just like Peter. We've had those moments where we've done the best that we can in everything that we've done. Our best hasn't been good enough. Not for lack of trying. It just didn't work. And we need in our lives to be connected. Uh, For anyone in this room who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, (laughs) there's no shortcut to what Jesus is talking about when he says, abide in me, connect, connect. And so my prayer, my hope for each one of us is that we would find those ways to connect and at a deeper level discover the intimacy that we were created to have with you. In doing that, it changes the trajectory of our life, our walk. We become so much more than we ever thought we could be. We discover a God who knows everything about everything, so we don't have to anymore. That's our prayer, our hope for this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.